You're listening to the Todd Rod God Pod, a podcast hosted by Pastor Todd Rodarmel and Drew Tilton, where we explore ideas of faith and what it means to have a sustainable spirituality. Welcome to the Todd Rod God Pod. We're back for another episode. This is our episode. Wow. This Already this season. I know. We're, it's we're it's going. going quick. We're yeah, rolling. It's good. Um, and in this episode, we are going to address a question that a listener sent in for the first time. I'm so time. excited that we actually have listeners. I know. That people actually listen. And not only do they listen, they want to interact with us. I like that even more. Yeah. And so we have a question from a woman named Nikki from Fontana. Okay. And uh, we're going to listen to it, and then we're going to talk about it because this is something we've been wanting to talk about anyway. Perfect. I love when people ask questions that I really want to talk about. Exactly. Exactly. So here, we're going to have a listen. Hi, this is Nikki from Fontana. I just wanted to say I'm glad you're back. Last podcast was great. I have a question about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I'm hoping that Todd will expand on what he said today in a future episode. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Nikki. Thanks, Nikki. Shout out. Actually, Nikki's my mom. I have N- to admit. Nikki's your mom. Nikki's my mom. Yeah, she's awesome. So and Drew's mom is the only person that listens to the podcast. Just, well, at least we've got one. That, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful for her because not only does she listen, but she wants to interact. She loves it. She actually told me the other day that she listens to it before she listens to the Bible Project each week. Wow. All right. Which she listens to all the Bible Project ones, too. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, so big deal, you know. Well, they they addressed a lot of this question, too, and uh, I... I I really learned a lot from them. So I highly recommend the Bible Project podcast where they talk about the tree of life. They talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. They talk about this idea of good and bad a lot. And if you like their videos, then the podcast just goes so much further in depth. It, it really explains where these ideas come from for their videos. and It's one of my favorite those. podcasts. It's yeah. very good. It's very good. And they talk about some really cool stuff. But, but that, this isn't a commercial for them. This isn't. They're, they're not paying us. They so are not our we're sponsor. We're shutting it down. All right. So, Todd, you mentioned, I think it was in our first episode of this season, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Mm-hmm. The tree of the, the knowledge, tree of, the of, knowledge good. of good and evil. Yeah. <laughs> tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And um, how that is really a big piece of what's going on in our world today still. Yeah. And how that, that story repeats itself. And so, let's open up. Let's talk about it, Todd. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, because these chapters in Genesis, chapters, you know, one, two, three of Genesis are so foundational to a biblical worldview, for me, everything, you know, very often comes back to them. And this story is just probably foundational because it happens in every one of our lives. Like we've all taken that forbidden fruit. And the question is, you know, what is that or what does it represent? And a lot of people have had lots of different answers for that over the years. And whether you, you know, interpret this story as being a, you know, literal historical story that it really happened this way, where there was a tree in a garden and there was a snake that talked to a woman and there's a flaming sword that goes in front of the garden to keep the people away from it. Um, All of those images, those ideas are found in other stories in the ancient Near East during that day. And so there's, there's evidence that like, you know, this is a, uh, a version of the story that's correcting the common myths of the day to say, mm-hmm. no, let me take these, these stories and these story elements of, of you know, ancient mythology that are very common in culture, and let me retell the story in the way that, that God wants it told. And so, so, so I think there's, there's that question. You know, people get, you know— um, Right. Is it literally six days? Is it literally a snake talking to right. a woman? Yeah. And then yeah. S- some people feel it isn't. Some people feel it is. And they feel strongly on both ends of those things. And like everything, there's there's strong opinions on all kinds of things. But the more carefully you actually read chapter one and two of Genesis, you see that there are two totally different types of stories going on. Chapter one is telling this creation story and this seven day creation narrative kind of structure. And it's more kind of the global big picture perspective where God, you know, God creates environments and then he fills them. He creates environments and then he fills them. And um, 
every time he creates, he says it's good. And then at the high point of creation, the whole high point of that kind of climax of that, that story, God creates human beings in his image. Mm -hmm. And then God says it's very good. And then he rests. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why kind of that sets up the whole kind of tempo for how we understand the scripture and everything that God made. But that's not what we're really going to get into today. But, but then you read the second chapter, it's totally different. The order of creation is different. God doesn't make the man and the woman right at the same time. He makes the man right. first and he puts him in a garden, gives him a job to name all these animals. And, you know, however long it takes for a man to name every species of animal in the world. <laughs> like, so if you're, if you're thinking literally and you're thinking days that this all happened, right. you're going to get stuck. Well, it's even problematic in some ways because if you are thinking literally, it's led some people to some weird spots where, you know, I've heard them say, oh, there were two first women, you know, because in Genesis 1, God created male and female. And then in Genesis 2, we we see a repeat of God creating uh, Eve out of Adam's rib. Mm -hmm. And so I've heard people say like, oh, there was a, another woman and she's this, and there's this whole mythology built around this, this one verse that if you looked at it a different way, not from and I want to be careful here, literal just meaning in the sense that there's no imagery at all in this thing, you know, versus because I think we well, yeah, come, that's the hard part. Yeah. Pe people, there's no such thing as literal. Like, right. Like when we say, you know, time flies when you're having fun, like we don't think time actually has wings right. and flies, right? Or we say the hand of God was upon him. We're not really saying that God has hands. Like all of our language all of our language, just the very nature of language is that it's metaphorical. So the, the question is not, does it mean what it says or is it true or false? The, the, the category is not true or false because Jesus taught in fictional stories. He taught right, in parables, parables that he made up. And it's like, oh, well, did you know the prodigal son really come home and then his other right, brother was, was out in the field? Family? Was that a family that actually yeah. happened? I mean, it could have been. I'm not saying that it wasn't, but it doesn't the, the veracity of the story doesn't depend on whether that was something that really happened or right, not. Right, right. And I think sometimes we think through our very Western scientific process lens and we try to put that on the Bible as though it's a science book, you know, or a, uh, a history book in the way we understand history, yeah. you know, is like, no, 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 the facts need to be all perfect and in order and... You know, like in the Bible, just generally doesn't function that way. Once in a while, there's some overlap of like, you know, a lot of the book of Exodus. There are, yeah, yeah several books in the Bible that, that are, are really historical, historical books trying to tell you out, what but, happened. But even those are telling you from a perspective. Totally. Like, and you can see that by reading, like, read Kings and Chronicles. They tell the same events. From two totally different perspectives, right? right? right. At different the times in history, kingdom, one from the southern. Yeah, and one one from like that was very critical of of the kings and and of, of all of that, and one that's that's not. So, yeah, th there are different perspectives in the Bible. There are different um, angles in the Bible, and there are different types of literature. And and so, regardless of what you think and whether you think like this really was a historical event and somebody's recording things that happened or whether somebody sat down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write this story as a corrective to the, the ways people believed about the world and the origins of things. Right. You know, this is obviously a story that's trying to tell us why things are the way they are. Like, why is our world so messed up? And the Bible, I think, is the, the only record or book or philosophy that I, I've read that I think really accounts for both the greatness of humanity and the messed upness of humanity, or whatever mm. you call that, sinfulness. Yeah. Like those two things at the same time, the fact that we are created in the image of God and that we are fallen and can do very terrible, evil things to each other, and both of those things are true, and the Bible takes both of those things seriously, and this is a story about how it is that way, how it got to be that way. Right. And you mentioned the creation myths of the ancient Near East. What are the, like, and, and how does this correct them? Well, it's like, like there's a story of Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh is a country? A no, Gilgamesh person? was a character in like this epic, you know, kind of tale from, um, I think, ancient Mesopotamia somewhere. And, you know, there's a, there's a tree in it and there's a, a serpent in it and the, the, you know, the tree is different. It's like, it's got some other kind of a, um, 
connotation to it and what the tree does. But there's there's things like that that are found in those cultures. And then this seems to be um, self-consciously setting itself against some of those things, you know, mm-hmm. and especially if if this is, you know, coming out of, um, you know, traditionally people say Moses was the writer of the, the Pentateuch. They call him the five books of Moses. Um, you know, scholars debate what parts he wrote. And obviously there were stories that were passed down from, you know, tradition beyond that, especially in Genesis, because, you know, we're talking about all this prehistory and, Right. You know, so whoever recorded it had heard it from somebody else. Well, yeah, either record, yeah, record whoever Probably. eventually wrote it down, wrote it down after lots of oral tradition, and right. somebody started telling these stories. But in this story, we see when these things are written that they're kind of consciously taking some of the same themes and they're just addressing them from the perspective of the Jewish people initially. Right but ultimately how that story finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And we, we see all of that built into this scripture because we believe God is the author of it. Like that ultimately God was behind the writing of it and the meaning of it and the message of it. Mm. And like the New Testament says that all scripture is inspired and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correcting, training in righteousness so that we can be equipped for every good work, right? Right. So that's what Paul says in in you know, I think first or second Timothy about that, but, but we believe the scripture is inspired, but that doesn't mean that God dictated it from heaven, but God did inspire people who right. wrote it. Well, it's interesting too, when you think about it, this is why we hammer home context, context, context matters, because when you understand it in the context of it's a corrective for a number of other creation myths that were out there and God essentially inspired somebody to say, hey, let's tell them what's really going on here. And when you paint it through a picture of a, using language that these other creation myths have done, but you reframe it, it, one, tells the listener or the reader at that time that they're specifically calling out these other myths. Like, it, it wouldn't be unusual for that to click in their brain, oh, I know another story about this, this sounds different. You know, and so it's setting up the listener or the reader to to see it through a different lens. It's going to spark them, and then it's going to help them course correct, right? Yeah. And so it's interesting to think about that imagery coming in potentially as a challenge to these other creation myths. Right. Well, and and that's the thing. Like even when the way people use the word myth these days, sometimes people use it to say that's not true. Right, it's a myth. It's a fable. yeah. It's a myth. It's it's not true. But but actually, myths are stories that are trying to explain reality the way it is right. and using images. So using symbols and right. You know. And I guess it depends on what level you look at the story, right? Because maybe on its surface, these things didn't literally happen, but there's still so much truth in the stories that we tell. And that would be even more true with yeah. things like the parables of Jesus and other scriptures that have this allegorical um, bent to them. Right, like like with Jesus, did a farmer really sow four different kinds of different kinds of seed on different soils, or or he sowed four his seed on four different soils? Did a a king really throw a banquet for the poor and the crippled? Well, yes and no. Like Jesus was describing real events that were happening as he was speaking them. Jesus was coming and he was the seed being sown and it mm, landed in right. four different ways, but it wasn't, the story wasn't about the, the farmer seeds. and the seed. It was right. about Jesus, the word, you know, and his, and their different receptions to the him. Truth is underneath that story. Right. And, and like the, the, the king throwing a banquet for the poor and the crippled, like, did he really do that? Like, I've never heard of a king doing that, but like Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom's like. This is right. what is happening right now is I'm healing right. the the crippled and I'm, you know, right. He's like, inviting I'm the, the king poor. throwing the banquet for yes. these people. Yeah. So, so it was true, absolutely true stories Jesus is telling um, through these fictional stories. And I, I, I think sometimes fiction is a better way to tell the truth than mm-hmm. even trying to say nonfiction. Because the reality is especially in our world today, you know, people contest facts. Like for you to say what the right. facts are, like, you know, who, who yeah. knows what the facts are because, because people have realized that everybody spins the facts in a certain mm-hmm. direction. And that's nothing new. 
that has always been happening, and every fact you've ever learned of history was written by somebody. Right. And they had an agenda, and whether agenda was, you know, just to try to just the facts, ma'am, report the facts, you know, like we talked about with mm-hmm. Joey, or or whether their agenda was to, you know, sway you and make you like or dislike somebody or change your view on something. Um, everything's written with a perspective and with an agenda. And that's true of the scripture too. And that doesn't mean it's false or it's bad. It just means it's it's communication. All communication has a purpose. Right. right. It, we couldn't create a perfect communication that didn't have that if we tried, right? Because it doesn't, it, communication can't work that way. Right, because there's a speaker and there's a hearer and there's a message between them. <laughs> And the, and the speaker the context in which they're and so the it. the speaker has like a way that they're thinking, and they're trying to use words to communicate that to the hearer, right? And the hearer has things they already think and what they think the speaker's saying, and they're trying to hear what the speaker's saying, but they're reading it through the lens of all the <laughs> things they're hearing, and then they're having this conversation about the conversation and whether it's working. So there's so many things going right, on in right. in in every communication. So when we talk to our, our spouse, a friend, when we read the scripture, you know, being conscious of these things is not a bad thing. It just right. helps us be better readers, better listeners, better speakers. And I, when I was working in youth ministry, I always tried to help students understand kind of the twofold nature of scripture. One, scripture can still be valuable even if you don't know all this stuff, right? You oh, know, yeah. God can still speak. He can still, you know, you can still understand, learn, grow, but learning these contextual clues, the understanding of genre, the understanding of original language, original intent, all those things only helps you um, have a more rich experience with the scripture. It doesn't mean that it's useless without those things, that knowledge, because sometimes people feel intimidated. Yeah, no, the Bible is, you know, here's the thing. The Bible is written simply enough you can take it at face value and you can understand God speaking to you. Plus God's Holy Spirit takes and inspires and says things through the scripture that, you know, the words on the page don't even say, but God right. wants to say to your heart. <laughs> and, you know, and, and the, the thing that, that understanding these things does is it helps you because the more closely you pay attention to the scripture, the more you start to see, well, you notice like, I don't know. There's snakes really talk. And well, this kind of seems like if you get exposed to other literature and you go, well, is this just another one of those things? Like what understanding context and, um, you know, background and all of that does for you is it helps you to, to not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Like Mm. people have set up the Bible as if there's this conflict between the Bible and science and they've rejected, you know, science and, you know, the theory of evolution or the, you know, the, different, you know, ideas that scientists come up with and pit as if the Bible is against it. The Bible's not against it. Sometimes our normal interpretations we've grown up with have set us up against something, but like, you know, God doesn't contradict himself. He speaks through nature. Like, you know, the skies proclaim his handiwork. The whole, you know, creation shouts about God and he gives us true information by what we can discover through observing nature. That's what science does. And he gives us true information through the scripture. And if they're in conflict, it's not because one's true and the other's not. It's because your understanding of it is limited. Right. And so either science or scripture. Right. Your science other. might be wrong or your interpretation of scripture might be wrong. Right, right. It doesn't mean the scripture's wrong. It doesn't mean the earth is wrong. But science is interpreting the earth and scripture is, you know, you're interpreting scripture. And so our interpretations are wrong all the time. So learning new information helps us to go back and go, oh, I didn't consider that. Hmm. And every time we learn something new, we can go back and we'll read something else and go, oh, I didn't consider that there might be other options. Because the more closely you look at the world, the more you're going to see contradictions and things you've always assumed. Right. And the more closely you look at the scripture, the more you're going to see contradictions and things you've always assumed. And it doesn't mean the scripture's broken or the world's broken. It just means your interpretation's broken. So change it. Cool. So where do you want to start with this particular, why does this particular story stand out to you? You know, I think the big thing that brought it up for me and why it stands out is 
everyone is um, calling good and evil everywhere, right? So mm. I'm I'm watching in this political season Democrats and you know people on the the progressive side calling the president evil, um, and people on the the Republican and conservative side calling the Democrats evil, and you know it it's the same situation that's been going on from the very beginning this tree of the knowledge of good and evil i think is at the root of this mm. this question because everybody wants to divide the world into those two categories right and as if things are either good or bad and everything is like we got to put it in a category and we got to decide what's what but the problem is everybody's deciding from their own reference point and we've got different interpretations of what's good and different interpretations of what's bad, you know, and even with our, you know, political parties right now, like they're, it's, it's an unfair choice because there's things that are good that the Democrats want and there's things that are good that the Republicans want and there's things that are, are bad that the Democrats want and things that are bad that the Republicans want. But everybody, you know, when, when you get to decide what's good and evil from your own vantage point, it's easy mm. because you get to call everything evil that you don't like <laughs> yeah, and you get to call everything good that you do. But that's the problem we've had from the beginning. And that's what I think is the whole point of this tree in the garden and what's caused all the misery of our world and why the warning that was given in Genesis chapter two by God was on the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. Mm. Like this is going to kill you. This is going to destroy you and your world and everything else if you eat from this tree. And this is how God said it. Um, it. It says in chapter 2 of Genesis that the Lord planted this garden and he made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then God puts a man in the garden to work it and care for it, and God commands a man. He says, you are free. That's the first command in the Bible. Mm. You are free. And people don't think of God that way and his commands, but like God's first command was you are free, free to eat from any tree in the garden, like all of it. God has just created all of creation and he said it was good, it was good, it was good, and, and it's very good. And then here he plants trees, and they're good uh, for food, and they're pleasing to the eye, and all kinds of trees, all kinds of fruit. And God says, you are free to do whatever you want, eat whatever you want, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or good and bad, tov and ra, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Um. And that, that verse, you know, again, I think I've said this before. I think for me, it, it really sets up what your view of God is, is how you interpret that verse, whether you mm. interpret that as a threat or a warning. Mm. Because I think a lot of people have interpreted that verse as a threat. Like God is just setting them up and giving them a test. And he's saying, okay, if I'm putting this it, one tree here just so that you don't I'll eat it. I'll kill you. And I'm, I'm going <laughs> to kill you. I'm taking you out. And that's, that's just not how God was hmm. speaking. It's not what his heart was behind it. Um, what do you think his heart was? Because I hear people say that, like, wasn't it messed up that God even put that temptation there in the first place? Yeah. Um, you know, and I've heard other answers to that, but what do you think about that? Well, and, and, and that's the thing, is the very nature of the tree is the nature of the temptation. See, it wasn't some arbitrary thing. It wasn't like, I'm just putting this arbitrary. It wasn't a choice that you were making between good and evil. Mm. Because, like, they knew that it was, that, that God gave them all the trees that they could eat from, but this one was forbidden. So they knew what was right and wrong. This isn't right and wrong. This isn't the tree of right and wrong. And it's also not the tree of knowledge, like... You know, I've heard that Apple computers, the Apple with the bite out of it is like this um, kind of, there's the symbol is the eating from the tree of knowledge and that we've discovered knowledge. <laughs> That's why it's and, the mark of the beast. Right, right. Again, yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought that was Bill Gates. But anyway. Yeah. Um, but, but this idea of knowledge that somehow God wants to keep us stupid. 
that's not true. Like God doesn't want us stupid. He wants us to have knowledge. Why else would he reveal himself and give us the Bible if he didn't want us to have knowledge? Why else would he give man to naming all the animals and create us with brains that can think and reason? And, you know, it's not that God didn't want us to have knowledge and it's not sexuality. People have like tried to, especially this was common in old writers back in the, you know, early days of the church that they would interpret it as being about sexuality just because there's the nakedness and the people, the man and the woman are naked and unashamed. And then afterwards they cover up and the word to know yada is the same word that's used, um, you know, later when it says in chapter four that Adam knew his wife and then she had a child. Hmm. And so that kind of knowing, you know, can be a euphemism for sex, but it's not, it doesn't mean that it's automatically that it's, it's, it's experiential knowledge. It's experiencing for yourself. And, and so that can be used as a euphemism for sex, but, but here it's experiencing good and evil or good and bad for yourself rather than just taking God's word for it, rather than um, listening to God and obeying God and staying away from that tree. It's this desire to experience good and evil, or at least to decide for yourself what is good and bad, mm-hmm. rather than just taking God's word for it. And that's what happened here. And it's what keeps happening in all of our lives. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, because I think when we're able to, whether this is a literal truth or not, when we're able to set that aside and try to find deeper meaning, because even if there is, this is a literal truth, there is a literal deeper, truth meaning like it, like a historical story. A historical story. Sorry, okay. yeah. If this is a a literal historical story, there's still meaning behind it for all of us, right? You know that what was going on in humanity that they chose this. What kind of um, you know, what does that fruit mean for us today? Because it's like that's pretty low on the totem pole is if we are going to eat off a tree or not, as far as, you know, sins go. So what do you think that means? Like the knowledge of good and evil, like help me understand that better because I don't understand why choosing that. Yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? I I think so. Let me, let me just talk a little bit more about this and then you can kind of, we can keep going. But, um, so the truest thing about this story is not whether or not it happened, but that it always happens. Mm. Like this happens in every human being's life. It wasn't just our forefather and mother, although there had to be, you know, early humans, first human. Um, and this could have been, you know, that, that story where this happened at one time, but it happens to all of us. Like when we start out as little kids, we're naked and unashamed. We run around naked (laughs) and we are simple and life is good and there's no shame and there is innocence. And at some point we decide we don't want to just stay within the bounds of what we've been given and the freedoms we've been given. We want to decide for ourselves. And so we, Mm take things that aren't ours or we lie or we, you know, we sin and it takes different forms for different people. But at some point we all choose our will over the will of the one who is over us. So it's really that, that choice of, I'm going to do this without God. I'm going to figure this out without him. Um, I'm going to decide for myself. And I think that's the heart of it to decide Mm -hmm. for myself what's good and what's bad. I, I'm going to experience it, and then I'll tell you whether it's good or bad, hmm. right? I'm going to base my um, wisdom of the world, my uh, decisions about what's what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, on my own experience and my own decision, rather than trusting God and doing what he says. Hmm. You know, like... Um, rather than listening to the word of God. And so that's, that's where the temptation comes in, right? So the, this, the third chapter, this serpent shows up, and he talks to this woman, and uh, she's at the tree, and her husband's right there with her. So, like, you know, anybody that tries to just blame it on women, it's not the woman's fault. Like, the man was, 
you know, given this in, in the story world here, at least the man's given charge of the garden. And then God creates the woman to be his partner right. and they're together. But it was before she showed up that God gave the command. The command right. So he yeah. probably passed it on to his wife and maybe he's the one that told her wrong and said, you can't touch it. But she adds that into the, the whole uh, dialogue with the serpent. And it says this, it says, uh, you know, the, the serpent says to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You know, his first move is to try to get her to doubt God's word. Hmm. Which, you know. And not just God's word, the Bible, but what God said. What God said. Yeah. To try to doubt. Like, did God really say? And she says, no, we may eat from any of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. And notice she misquotes God. Right. Right? She she does what we would call eisegesis. Rather than exegesis is where you read what's in the scripture and you take it out. Um, eisegesis is putting into the scripture something that wasn't there, mm. adding in a command where God didn't give one. God never said don't touch it. But ironically, this is one of the very things that the the rabbis did all the time mm. in, you know, God gives a command, you must honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And they have to define what is the Sabbath and how far can you go on a Sabbath without dishonoring it? Right. And what can you do on the Sabbath and what it's can you not do on the building Sabbath? Building the fence around the law. Building a fence around the law is the very first sin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the theology, uh, being a theologian and building a fence around the law. Like it was a, you shouldn't add to it and you shouldn't take away from it, you know? And she added to it. But um, maybe, maybe Adam added to it when he told her because he thought, you know, all right, that'll keep her from eating of it. That'll keep us both safe. But either way, um, that was not good. But, but, but she says, you know, we must not eat from the tree that's in the middle or touch it or you'll die. And then the serpent says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hmm. Now, when God created the man and the woman in the beginning, just two chapters earlier, God's intention said, God said to himself in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, right. and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over all the living things. And so God did that. They were already like God. Hmm. They were already created in the image and the likeness of God. And he's trying to tempt them to get something that they already have. Right. A challenge of the identity. He's challenging them at the level of their identity, just like when he comes to Jesus in the desert where the replay of this whole thing is. You know, and it's pretty set that the snake represents Satan, correct? It's not clear from the context of the story itself, right, but it never says this it doesn't say that anywhere Satan, in here. Satan. But from the 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 part where it says that the um, seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, and then that plays out again and again through the scripture, and then by the book of Revelation, John, the revelator, is is looking back and saying that dragon who was the serpent that was there in the beginning, and then we see all of this play out with Satan in the desert with Jesus rather than in the garden here, and we see basically the same themes playing over and over in these these patterns in the scripture, and so that's where, you know, we would tend to interpret that as this this Satan character, but here it's just a, it's a, it's a snake. It's in the story. It even gives the reason for why snakes crawl on their belly as, you know, because of this, um, but but the uh, I don't know where I was with that. You I was were talking, talking about, about just that. That's what Satan does. He attacks us at the level of our identity. Oh yeah. So the level, just like with Jesus, at the level of his identity in the desert. If you are the Son of God, mm. and Jesus had just gotten baptized, and the Father spoke out of heaven and said, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." And then he goes in the desert to be tempted and to overcome the temptation that Adam and Eve failed. And he, um, the very first line is, if you're the son of God, hmm. it's kind of like that causing him to try to doubt what God had just said. The same right. thing he did with the, the woman. Did God really say, you know, it always starts with undermining, you know, trust in God's word. Hmm. So, so in this, you know, back to Genesis three, the, uh, you know the, the serpent says, you know, he knows that you're gonna you're you're gonna be like God, knowing good and evil. 
And again, this knowing is an experiential word, um, a, a word for, for knowing by your own experience. You're going to get to know good and evil, and so you get to decide for yourself what's good and evil hmm. or what's good and bad. Right, and that so that's distinct in the sense that we don't actually decide well, I guess would be the point that I would make. Like Satan or the serpent seems to be saying, oh, you're going to know it. You're going to know the difference. But in fact, we we don't. That's what gets us into trouble is that we try to decide for ourselves and we don't actually. Well, because we all decide from our own vantage point. Hmm. And here's, this is the, the center of the whole thing. God is the only one that has the vantage point to decide good and bad, to good and evil. Like God sees every angle. Right. He knows from all perspectives. But all of us, we see something as good or bad for us. Like, for instance, um, th- this morning, th- this morning, I- I've had this thing with a rat. And this, this uh, there's a rat that's been coming around my house and I saw rat poop and I didn't like it. That is bad. It's really bad. (laughs) From my perspective, it's bad. Right. From the rat's perspective, it's good. Like for the rat's perspective, the rat's like, dang, there's free food. There's a cool (laughs) place to stay. I can get out of the dirt. I can go in the house. And the rat thinks it's awesome. I think it's bad because I'm like, that is gross and disgusting. So I had set a trap. I set a mouse trap and I came back and the mousetrap was snapped and there was blood like on the sliding glass door near where the mousetrap was, but there's no rat, there's no mouse. And so I'm like, oh no, there's like things (laughs) gone. Ripped off a rat arm or something. Oh, I don't know what happened. And so, but then the next day it comes back while Tracy's in the house and she sees it and it's just like, it's like sitting on her clothes. It climbs up in her closet and it's just like sitting there looking at her and it's this big old rat and he's kind of like messed up nose. I think he got smacked with the the mousetrap, but it didn't, it didn't kill him, but he's just like, and so we're just starting to get like freaked out about this thing. So I get these glue traps and I put them out there and it like the glue trap flips off of the balcony and like lands down below. And so I think maybe we got the rat because it's upside down so I can't see, but then I come back later and I was going to go down there and pick up the trap but it was gone. And I'm like, oh no, did this thing like get away? Is this, what happened? <laughs> the, the whole glue trap. The whole glue gone. trap was gone. So I'm like, <laughs> oh no. And so then I said another, I go to the landlord and I get this rat trap. He gives me a big old, like huge little break your hand probably like, oh, you know, if it snaps on you. So I put peanut butter on it. I put it out one night and the peanut butter has gone and the thing never snapped. I'm oh, like, geez. oh my gosh. And then there's all the rat poop around it. I'm like, this is getting out of hand. This this rat is just terrorizing us. And so this morning, I, I left the rat trap, but then I thought, I started imagining Captain coming over and like breaking his arm on this. Right. <laughs> and so I go, Jeez. okay, I'm getting rid of this this trap. So I go out there, and the rat is in it. This big old rat, and he is dead, and I won, all right? And it was good. I was, I said, it was very good, um, but not to the rat, right? From the rat's right. perspective, this is probably the worst day of his life. Yeah. Probably. It was the last day of his life. It was the day that you touched the worst that trap. week of his life because first you broke his nose, then you came in and you it, stuck it's, a- it's been a rough week, but he keeps coming back for more. And I was yeah. afraid that he's going to take, you know, my wife before uh, things was over. <laughs> Just carry Tracy away. So, but, you know, if somewhere, someone were to warn that rat and say, don't, whatever you do, don't go near that trap looking thing where the peanut butter is. Because on the day you do that, you're surely going to die. And then somebody goes, nah, you won't surely die. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he was right because he got away with it for a little while, but eventually it got him and it killed him. All this to say, we decide what's good and evil based on our vantage point. And a rat in my house seems evil to me. It seems good to the rat. In the same way that, um, you know, 9-11 crashing planes into the World Trade Center towers seemed very good to the terrorists who did it. They thought it was an act of worship of God and a faithfulness to God and that it was one of the best things that they could do. Whereas to those of us who were on this side of, in, in America, we thought it was terrible. And then when the president got up and started talking about you know, good and evil, and there's a, this is a war against good and evil, and we've got to go take care of the evil in the world— you know, then we sent bombs to 
and troops to Afghanistan and to Iraq and got embroiled in wars and all kinds of things that happened mm-hmm. that definitely didn't feel good to any of the people that were on the other end of that and right. probably weren't even felt good to many of the people that were sent over to, to be a part of it. And, and the problem of doing the good and evil thing and trying to decide what's good and evil is we always decide from our vantage point. But do you think we could clearly identify evil if we saw it? Like, for instance, I mean, obviously there's the extreme examples, though perhaps the terrorists believed it was good. Don't you think that we can identify that clearly as evil, killing the people in the world? Yeah, definitely. Well, I I think you, you definitely can know I think we know what's what's right and wrong. I think the problem is the defining of it and deciding what is. We are not in the position to decide uh, who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Because in reality, we've all got this mix. In, in our experience of the world, we all, everything is, in some way, it's got the potential for good because everything created is good. God, Everything God created, he said it was good, 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 very good. Nothing is evil, but then we have this. In fact, Thomas Aquinas was this scholar, theologian in the early days of the church, probably 500 years in. And he said, um, he basically defined evil as a privation of good. So something is good to the extent that it is living to the ideal of what God created it to be. And evil is just any lack in that. So if you are healthy, that's good. To the extent that you are not healthy, that's bad or evil, right? Hmm. So like, like darkness and light, the darkness isn't a thing in and of itself. Light is the thing, and darkness is the absence of light. And like that, goodness is a thing. Goodness is something God created, and anything is evil to the extent that it is not, that it's falling short of the goodness that God created it for. Kind of like, you know, how I would always define sin based on, you know, the Apostle Paul gives that for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We were created in the very image and likeness of God to bear his image and reflect his glory. To the extent that we don't do that, we are in sin. We are sinning. Mm. Our, the ideal, you know, and the level that we fall short of it, like the, the falling short part, that's bad. So, right. so back to the example of the, um, you know, like, like a, a terrorist act. A terrorist act is obviously evil because it's it's killing people and it's destroying lives and right. um, but we we can see that from the outside but but the problem is in the deciding of what's good and evil we tend to do what's good for us at the expense right. of what's good for somebody because else. Then we go and bomb innocent people in Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever, and in our mind that's still good. Right. And it's not because we perpetuate evil this way. Mm. It, it, it starts from the very earliest chapter. So as soon as this story happens in chapter three of Genesis, the very next first story in Genesis chapter four, you have two brothers. And, um, you know, they both bring offerings to God. And for one reason or another, you know, God likes one offering. And I don't even know how they knew that what God liked and what he didn't like, but God really loved Abel's offering, wasn't as excited about Cain's offering, and Cain gets ticked. Hmm. And so he thinks it would be good to kill his brother. And this is the other thing Aquinas says. He says we, you know, the will is only to good. We only will good. So in order to do evil, we have to see it as good. We have to see it as a good. So, so Cain, you know, he's not created evil. He doesn't have evil. It's, he's not an evil person, but because he is, you know, and, and the way God says it in, in warning uh, Cain, is he said, sin is crouching at your door. It's a, it's a beast. It it's, wants to have you, but you must overcome it. Hmm. And this thought, this evil, this sin, this temptation that comes to him, he starts to believe that something um, that is actually evil, killing his brother, is good. Now, up to this point, there has been no command in the Bible that says, thou shalt not murder. So he's not breaking a command. But do you think he knew that it was wrong to kill his brother? I mean, I think we all know inherently that it's wrong to murder your brother. 
But he had somehow convinced himself that it was the best thing to do at the time. Everyone always does what they think is the best thing to do at the time. Hmm. That's interesting because I don't know that I think about it that way. And I'd have to think more on it because I can think of moments. I suppose an example might be there was a moment where my brother was my brother and I, when we were kids, he and I were jumping over a tennis net and we weren't tall enough to really jump over it. Um, so we'd each sit on it and for the other person and take turns jumping over it. And my brother comes running down. I've done it a few times. My brother comes running down and I get up off the tennis net and he kicks, catches his foot, flies over, falls down. I forget exactly, but he, I'm sh- he hurt himself pretty bad. And I sat there like, why did I just do that? Like, I have no idea why I made that choice. I knew it was wrong. Did you think it'd be funny? Maybe. I don't know. I Yeah, I or guess. Or were you mad at him and you thought it'd be a good way to get revenge? I don't think I was mad. It, it probably was the funny thing. Um, you know, I thought. You yeah. thought it would be funny, but you probably didn't realize how bad the consequence right, would be. Sure, sure. So maybe that's. The but you made a choice based on like. This seems like a fun idea or like it right. seemed good to you at the time. Like, for for example, with with Eve, the very first thing she does when after the serpent's talking to her, it says when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. Hmm. See, she decided it was good for her, even though God had told her not to do it. He had warned her, this is going to kill you. Don't do this. But she looked at it again and. Eh, it looks good to me. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye and it seemed good for food. So she took some, she gave some to her husband, you know, and the rest is history. And I think that, you know, that reframing of something that God said was off limits into something desirable. Hmm. Oh, it looks good to the eye and pleasing for food. I think it's good. You're making the choice for what's good for yourself. Right. Or but, what's good for, you know, on a bigger level, your people like you. Or, you know, like, I'm, I'm thinking about, like, Adolf Hitler. You know, that feels like an inherently evil act of killing and trying to exterminate an entire people group. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow he had convinced himself that that was what would be best for him, best for people like him, and best for Germany. And best for the world, to rid the, the world of the Jews right. because they were the problem. And we've right. got to get rid of evil. And so it's the same thing. Like when people, I I don't think, I mean, certainly in the, uh, there's things that I've read that that indicate that there are people that have really bad motives for things. And I, I get people, there are people that get so twisted and so used to um, doing evil things that they can call, you know, that they, they, they've convinced themselves it's good. But like, for instance, uh, abortion is a something that I don't think anyone does because they hate children Hmm. or because they want to kill a little baby. I think they honestly think it's their best option at the time and that it will be for the greater good there. Nobody wants to do it, but then they do it because they convince themselves that like, it's better than the alternative. This is the best thing. And so people do things that may not be, that are not good, but because, because in this, and that the problem is, us being the reference point for what's good and evil. And, and I'll give you another example because this is one that, that I think about, like a rock. Is a rock good or evil? Neither. You right. mean a rock, not Iraq. A, a ro- no, a, a, a rock, a stone. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's good if you're using it to build your house. It's good if you need to step up on it to get something. It's good if you need it to throw at a lion that's coming at you. It's evil if you stub your toe on it. It's evil if it falls on your head, you know, like. And your distinction, because you said this before, but I don't think we've said it on the podcast yet. You talked about how evil is kind of a weird loaded word for us, because when I think about stubbing my toe on the rock, I don't think the rock's evil, like in those terms. Yeah. And this is this is one of the things that the Bible Project guys pointed out that was really, I think, helpful the word itself, uh, ra, tov is good in Hebrew, ra is evil um, or bad. It, it doesn't necessarily have the connotations of that sinister kind of thing. Right. Evil, evil has, has a, it's almost personified. It's yes. A, it's, a, it's a force. Yes. 
And and so I think in that way, it's it's better for us to think in terms of good and bad because that's really the category distinction here. Right. Because if you were to take good to that same level, good is related to God and it's like it, it has this divine power that all that God created is good. He says it's good, it's very good, right? And But evil takes on that that idea. So to take it out of that, we just could say good and bad. But like, yeah, what's what it, when I determine something is good or bad based on its relationship to me, I'm putting myself as the center of the universe. Hmm. I am taking the place of God in being the judge of the universe and being the center of the universe. And this is this is what we all do to some degree or another as children. Children become the center of their own. I mean, they start out as the center of their own universe. Mom and her life revolves around the child and the child sees everything as, um, you know, really revolving around them. So we, we grow up with this idea of everything in relationship to us. So it's a very natural thing. And maybe it's part of being created in the image of a God who is the center of the universe, <laughs> but we're not. Right. And that's where humility comes in to put ourselves in the right place to go, I'm not the judge. I'm not God. And though I am like God and I'm called to reflect the image of God, I'm not called to play God. Yeah. And this knowledge of good and evil is really playing God because it's deciding and labeling good and evil rather than taking God's word for it. Do you think that the serpent thought what he was doing was good? That's a good question. <laughs> Maybe, yes. I mean, possibly. Uh, I mean, if, you know, if the serpent is just a serpent, I mean, uh, again, sure. it, it, it goes I, to the I question mean, of say, the story yeah. and, and reading into it. But but as we know this story from the rest of Scripture and the Satan character and this idea that the Satan was a, an angel, created good, again, created not in the image of God, which, by the way, I think is why he hates humanity mm. so much, um, because we're actually a higher order of being than him and than the angels. You know, the angels were not created in the image of God. They were created to serve God. They were created as beautiful, amazing, powerful, wonderful, you know, beings and, and created good. But, you know, the story or the idea behind the, the Satan thing is that he, he wanted to be again, wanted to ascend the throne and wanted to be God, wanted to take matters into his own hands and be the the judge instead of submitting to the judge. So it's really that same sin. It's that Mm -hmm. same idea played out. And so, yeah, I think he thought it would be good for him, (laughs) but he's doing it in reference to him rather than in reference to what is... um, actually good yeah what is actually good because only god can say what's actually good and bad right because the the real i mean what i always think about that i've kind of embraced as a um i usually use to talk about judgment is that the only good judge is the judge with all the information right and the only one with all the information really is god and so god can be the only good judge and so in that context we we put a plank in our eye when we judge others because we um we create space between us and you know like when we're able to release judgment we're actually able to help one another um and so in this context it it really is us setting ourselves up as though we are the best judge right that we know better than anyone else including god yeah and that we can make those decisions for ourselves yeah and it's at the root of all all sin and all hmm. the problems in the world because what's what's good for you when it comes into conflict with what's good for me we have a war right <laughs> we kill each other we you know fight with each other and and this is where you know coming back to just taking God's word for and and the word of God ultimately is Jesus and he has spoken to us of what is true and what is good and what is God's will for us. And so to follow him and to listen to him and not, and, and to lay down our own right to decide for ourselves hmm. is, um, is important. And then to stop labeling everything good and good and bad. 
because because the reality is our world is not that simple. Yeah. And and the only, you know, the only people that that maintain this good and bad, you know, distinction for everything, either something's all good or all bad are you know, narcissists and people with borderline personality disorder who I was just listening to, uh, what was the guy's name? Um, Henry Cloud talking about this. And he said, um, you know, uh, people with borderline personality are people that they come to your church and they say, oh my gosh, your church is the best thing in the world. The church I used to go to, they were terrible and they did this and they did that. And it's like, they see their old church is bad. They see this church is good. Right. He goes, watch out for those people because as soon as you forget their yeah. name or you do one you're thing. You're one mistake away <laughs> from being the worst Now all of a sudden ever. you're bad and the next one is good. <laughs> and people do that with their marriages. They do that, you know, with other people. It's like, no one is all good and no one is all bad. Hmm. You know, we all have this mixture and, and it's because the bad is not even a thing, right? According to Aquinas, and I I would tend to agree with him, but that, that evil is a privation of the good that, you know, we were all created in the image of God. And to some extent, we all fall short of that. Every one of us falls short at different varying degrees. And so some of us fall farther short than others, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but we all fall short. And so we all have sinned. And so owning our own sin, but also recognizing that within us, like we have good and bad. If you interview somebody for a job interview and you say, well, tell me about your strengths and weaknesses. And, and they say, well, I guess my weaknesses is that I just have too many strengths and I'm just <laughs> too, too humble too of a hard. person and I'm a hard worker. And I, yeah, sometimes work too. Like you just know, run away from that person because like if you don't have an accurate assessment of recognizing the good, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. The facts of life. It was a show right. back in the <laughs> 80s. But um, but yeah, the life has a mix of all of those things on this earth because it's not the ideal. What do you what do you think we do then? Like, how do we actually identify and choose the good if we're not able to identify it for ourselves? Well, I, I mean, one, I think we stay close to God and stay close to the Scripture. And one of the reasons that he has spoken in Scripture and in creation is to, to show us what's good. Like the, um, what's that Scripture? It says, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, mm-hmm. to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Mm. So there are things that we know are good. They've been revealed. And it's kind of like Moses says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but those things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may obey every word of this law. Mm. God revealed the things he wants us to know. And there is enough there that you do know that is good that you can do. And enough there that he has revealed that is evil that you should not do. (laughs) And you can take his word for it, that that's a good place to start. And the secret things, if there's other things, they belong to the Lord. And you can ask the Lord about them and have him reveal things to your heart. But that's part of the walking humbly. Right? But that's walking humbly with your God. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I love that verse, Micah 6, 8. And um, it becomes a popular kind of slogan thing. But I think that walking humbly piece is such a big piece because there, it isn't like God has revealed every situation that we'll ever encounter on this earth, you know, like, here's what you do. Like, he doesn't do that. He doesn't micromanage that way. Well, and that's what wisdom is. Mm-hmm. And, and all of this idea of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is tied to wisdom because there is a certain amount of wisdom that God gives us as we grow and as we do have experiences. But as the guys in the Bible Project talked about, like, we, we do gain wisdom, but at the time when God wants to give it to us, not at the time when we take it for ourselves and we take experience or that experiential knowledge of good and evil, um, whereas we wait for God to give us wisdom. And wisdom, hopefully, when we realize that there is good and bad and everything's got a mix of it and there is our decisions to be made, we grow in discernment and wisdom and the ability to make good decisions over time. But those are part of the byproduct of knowing already what God has revealed as good and then walking closely with him 
Right. And that's why he's given us his Holy Spirit to live within us. He's given us his word so that he's spoken to us in the scripture, a small W word, and in the capital W word of God, Jesus himself, that shows us exactly what a human being was created to be like mm. and exactly what God our Father is like. He's the spitting image of the Father, mm. the only human who didn't fall short, who didn't have sin or evil within him. Um, yeah. And so we, we can follow him. So how do we live now? Like knowing this and knowing that this is our temptation um, to try to decide for ourselves what is good and evil. And we do it from a perspective that isn't actually helpful because we are not the center of the universe. We do not have all the facts. We are not the best judge. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we walk humbly, I suppose. How do we, you know, walk humbly with our God in the midst of constantly being tempted towards this? Um, you know, I think the first thing is to, to leave, and this is one of the things that Jesus said, is to, to leave the, um, leave judgment to the judge. Like, um, you know, Jesus told this parable of the wheat and the tares, and he said, uh, you know, there, there's a parable about like the, the you know, the farmhands came and they told the, the farmer, hey, there's somebody, an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, like weeds among your wheat. What should we do? And Jesus says, or the, the farmer says, leave them alone until the end, and then when we harvest everything, then I'll, we'll sort it out. And he said, you know, basically he gives the interpretation of that parable and he says, you know, at the end of the age, at the great, you know, harvest and the end of the age, then God can sort out the good and the bad. Um, because I think the, the disciples were wanting to, you know, decide at the time, who, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? You know, these other people are saying that they follow you and they're casting out demons not in your name. And I think Jesus was telling this parable in response to something like that, mm. like, they're not with us and I don't think they're on our side and they don't believe right or they don't do it right. Or they're, you know, they might be the bad guy. And Jesus is like, yeah, let it just grow together. And at the end of the age, we'll sort it out. And I think to some degree, we always want to decide. We want to be the judge. We want to go who's the good guys and who's the bad guys and divide everything into simplistic categories. But part of what we mean when we talk about authenticity with ourselves as a core value for a sustainable spirituality is the authenticity to recognize both the the greatness of being created in the image of God with incredible potential for good and also the fallenness of the ways we fall short of it and where we're at now and the the good and bad within us. And I'm just thankful God doesn't sort it out and get rid of all the bad people because I'd be in with them because I still have bad right. things and I fall short. <laughs> right. But because of Christ and by faith in Christ, like I am who he says I am, not just who I've already become. And that's why the Bible uses the language of, you know, God is, uh, you know, sanctifying us or, um, you know, making us, or what what is it like? We are live up to what you've already attained, or right. or we are being the those <laughs> who are perfect. Who we already are. are becoming. Yeah, it's like that that thing that those who are already we've been declared, you know, perfect by God because it's he he created us for that, and he's Jesus redeemed it, our humanity, and has you know owned us as his own children, called us to belong to his family, and declared over us that we are in Christ. But yet we still have to live up to that. And we still, it's a process of growing. And the more we can recognize the good and bad in ourselves, and that'll help us to recognize that there's good and bad in everybody else that we meet. And nobody's all good and nobody's all bad. And when you are looking for somebody to marry, you will recognize that that person is not all good. And if you think they are, you are deluded. (laughs) And if the person, you know, uh, Henry Cloud said this, he goes, he goes, uh, Somebody asked Rod Stewart, you know, he'd been married a bunch of different times, and they said, hey, are you going to get married again? He goes, no, I'm just going to find a woman I hate and give her a house. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like there is this thing where we see somebody is so good, but then we find out there's something wrong with them, and so we label them bad. But it's like if you just go in it with both eyes open and go, you know what? The knowledge of good and bad, somehow, there's a, one of my favorite writers is this guy named uh, Robert Farrar Capone, and he talks about the ecology of good and evil or good and bad. 
and that God has set up and runs the world in such a way that those things work together. Mm. And we don't get to, the, the problem with trying to eliminate evil from the world is you just can't eliminate it by killing it off because it, it's not actually like something you can kill. It's a deficiency in other good things. Mm. And so you end up killing good while you're trying to get rid of evil. And mm. what, what we need to get rid of evil is to have the absolute goodness of God fill us and to have him deal with the good and the bad in us um, so that we can become more of the image of God we were designed to be. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. You don't try to fight the dark. You try to create light. Yeah. Like, let's try to get rid of darkness. Okay, <laughs> just turn on the light. Yeah, right. And and that light is God living in us and working in us and helping us to move towards what who we already are in Christ. We're declared sons and daughters in Christ. Um, we're declared, you know, we, we take on that same declaration that God spoke over Jesus right at his baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my son or daughter um, who I love in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. And we take on that identity, but then once we're able to do that, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and actually helps us to become that which we have been given. To grow into who we already are. Right. Who we already have been declared to be. Yeah. And, and so, that yeah. turns on the lights. That brings the light up. Yeah. You know, rather than punching at the dark. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, hey, this has been a great conversation. Definitely, I have uh, I have to get going actually today. All and, right, uh, I've got well, another meeting, but uh, I have enjoyed this conversation, and I could probably go on for another couple of days talking about this stuff. But totally, we'll come back and totally. do it again another time. Or well, if you continue. guys out there have questions, please do reach out. We had our first question on air today, so if you have questions, you can go to our Anchor.fm page. It's uh, Anchor.fm/slash Todd Rod God Pod. That's Todd with two D's. You can go there. The link's also in the description of this episode and every episode. Um, And you can leave us a message. And we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you want to hear about and hopefully help, you know, bring some perspective on that that we have. So anyhow, we are super thankful for you guys and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.